And uh, what we're going to think about now is uh, this wisdom from Jesus, which is wisdom really about how to live a great life, how to live a life full of joy, how to be really, truly and eternally happy. And, um, and, and if you remember this series we're looking at through this, uh, what's called the Sermon on the Mount, it's Jesus talking to a group of a ragtag group of people, the nobodies, the, the sinners, the tax collectors, the sex workers, the people whose lives have been traditionally marginalized and excluded from traditional religious society. And they've now heard from Jesus that, that access to God, life in the kingdom of God, life in all its fullness is available even to people like them. And it's freely available. And they've come in and now Jesus is teaching them what that sort of life looks like. And so that's what we're going to think about today. And it's what we're on about as a church. So our, our work, our mission as a church is to help people connect with God and learn how to live a great life with God. And this is just, this is just amazing. This is it. So here's the thing that Jesus says. Here's the summary. Uh, if God is your great treasure, everything will be okay. That's it. If, if you treasure God more than anything else in the world, then no matter what happens to you in this world, everything will be all right. Isn't that great? Now, that's kind of hard to believe, but think about it. I mean, I'm deliberately, and I think Jesus is, he's saying everything will be okay. So uh, if this morning you are here or you know somebody here who's struggling with just chronic, enduring mental illness, so uh, a person I've become a little bit friendly with tried to, you know, tried to end their life not so long ago. And I want to say to that person, you know, if God is your great treasure, then even your mental illness and your life that is so full of distress at the moment, that'll be okay. If your, if your family relationships are, are strained or stressed, th they'll be okay. If your health is, is in decline, I mean, actually, all of our health is in decline. I think we peak at about 16, and then we just slowly unravel, right? Uh, it'll be okay. It'll be all right. If your vocation is in the toilet, and it's, you're stuck, and it's just not going anywhere, it'll be okay. You can live a great life. You can, you can have everything that you long for, everything that you're made for, and it'll be okay as long as you have God as your greatest treasure. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, of course, the question is, do we believe him? Actually, the prior question is, what does he mean by that? And then the second question is, do we really believe him? Do we take this teaching seriously? And, of course, that's our great challenge and I speak entirely for myself, my great challenge is to actually take Jesus with the utmost seriousness as somebody who really knows how to make life work better than anyone else, including better than me, and then to take him at his word. So um, this is what he says. A great life is built on a great treasure. And if you treasure, uh, and if you think about it, that's, that's obvious. So the first thing we're going to think about, though, to, to unpack this uh, is to make this point. And that is this, what you treasure determines what you become, right? So what you really value, and you think about it, that's obvious, right? So if you, if you really value uh, money, 
What does that mean? If money is your treasure, well, that means that you will orient your life around getting money, keeping your money, uh, ensuring nobody else gets your money, and that will shape what you become. You become somebody who treasures money, you will be shaped by that. You will, if you treasure money more than people, that'll shape how you treat people at work, how you treat people at home, the decisions you make. You know, that's how it works, right? If you treasure being liked by people, then you will become somebody whose whole world is shaped by your driving desire to be liked by people. You won't ever be able to say no. You'll be a constantly at the mercy of anyone who's unhappy with you. You'll stay in a, a relationship of intimate partner violence because you just want to be liked. That's, that's what you treasure more, more than your own physical safety. You, you treasure being loved and accepted perhaps in the home. So, so it shapes us. What we treasure shapes what we become. Um, uh, I don't know how many of you, if you go to the gym, you'll see this, won't you? If you treasure physical fitness, it shapes you, right? I go to the gym and uh, like literally there's, a, there's some people there. Uh, I normally go at the same time each day. I won't tell you just so that I can avoid you. Um, not really. Uh, but there's, there's some people. There are three people who are at the gym I go to every day, every single day I've ever been there. At that time, these three people are there. And they're there for a long time. I, don't, I, I go to the gym for a good time, not a long time. They go there for a lot. They are there for like an hour and a half to two hours every day of the week, seven days a week. And guess what? It shows. <laughs> like, oh my goodness. I'm like, you're seriously swole. You're like, oh, there is like no body fat. It's just like muscle. And like, oh my goodness. And, and you know, the awful thing is, I reckon they're older than me. <laughs> it shows. They treasure physical fitness, they treasure how they look. Two blokes and a lady. And, and it shows, right? So that's obvious at one level. But what's, what is a treasure? Well, uh, you know what? Having treasure, a treasure is really something we value. Something that is core to us, that really matters. And, and as human beings, we are, we are treasuring beings. We have to treasure things. We have to value things. We have to give our hearts to things, don't we? Like, that's, that's actually who we are. And uh, knowing what we treasure is knowing something really deep and profound and important about us, isn't it? So um, it's, it's, a, it's a very intimate thing to really understand what somebody treasures because it what I treasure both shapes who I am and reveals who I am now, like what I really love, what really matters to me. And uh, so it's, it's good. Now, and here's another thing about treasures, right? If, if you treasure what I treasure, that is an act of great love, isn't it? So if you want to express love to somebody else practically, what you've got to do is love what they love, share in their treasures, rejoice in their treasures, right? So if, you, uh, if I want to love these three people who I see at the gym, uh, I, need to enjoy, I need to treasure physical wellness and get alongside of them and work out and affirm that. 
It may not be my greatest treasure, but as an act of love to them, I'd say, you know. And that's true in our intimate partnerships, isn't it, in your marriage? If, uh, successful marriages, we learn over time to treasure what our partner treasures, even if it isn't how we start, right? And, and treasures vary, don't they? A treasure, and most things in life are not intrinsically treasurable, so over different times in our lives, we treasure different things, and different cultures treasure different things. And, and a treasure, we make something a treasure by what we bring to it. So uh, here's an example. I was having, we were talking about this, and I was talking through the sermon uh, with Margot, and I, here's an ex- I want you to think about it for a moment. Here's an example of a treasure. Your house is on fire. What are you going to run in and rescue? Yell it out. Okay, let's assume the kids have got out. Because we treasure our kids. Jan, what are you going to rescue? Harry. Harry, the dog. You're going to get your pet out. Okay, there's your treasure. What else? So you've got the kids and the dog. You've got all sentient beings. Maybe the, maybe the fish you leave in there. It's not really sentient. Photos. You're going to run and get your photos. Uh, and I have two words for you. Cloud backup. Uh, that's it. You can go find something else. Okay, so you're going to get your photos. What else might you run and get? Snowboards. Wow, there we go. That says something. Not sure what, but it says something about you. What, what would you run and get? Your phone. Wow, that's awesome. Okay, you'd get your phone. Another two words for you. Cloud backup. <laughs> what else? Passport. Particularly if the fire's overseas in a hotel. <laughs> How about like some underwear <laughs> or like tracksuit pants to put on as you run out? I treasure your son's favorite teddy. Yeah. It's a lamb. Lamb. Teddy lamb. Yeah, lammy. Uh, so when Margot and I were talking about this, we did some, I asked this to Margot and she said, uh, photos and silverware. So we have some silverware that is my family silverware from my great-grandparents. It's the, pe- it's the silverware that when they fled Germany uh, from the Holocaust, that was the only thing of value they could bring out from Germany, right? So it's been all around the world. It's, uh, you know, from the mid-1800s and incredibly significant. And I schlepped it from Switzerland when my grandmother died and put it in our carry-on luggage and carried it across the, the world. And uh, so, very, so Margot said, photos and silverware. And those are the two things I would go for. And then I said, but imagine if you could only take one thing, what would you get? What do you think she said? You would think. <laughs> she said, photos! What do you think I said? I said, silverware. So there's an overlap of our treasures, but for me, that's it. I, I like anything else can burn, but that's silver, because I want my kids to have it, and their grandkids. That's it. For me, that's, incre- that's, that's incredibly significant, right? It means nothing to any of you. You would look at it and you go, Pfft couldn't care like honest to goodness so that's the thing about treasures uh, they're deeply personal and they define us and they reveal the state of our hearts you now know something about me that you didn't know before that this chunk of silver actually matters enormously to me and if you really want to hurt me one day uh, break into the house and steal it uh, and then you would you'd, be, you'd rip out a chunk of my heart right uh, so you see what I mean like that's and so we all have those things and they're really significant. And Jesus takes them with utmost seriousness. So our spiritual well-being, our joy in life, 
happens when we, we take time out to think long and hard and honestly about what is it that we really treasure. And, you know, treasures vary from family to family. So uh, many years ago, I was studying a sort of intercultural communication. We were looking at different cultures. And, um, uh, you know, if you said to a, someone from our culture, you're on a, uh, the, uh, your boat's sinking and you've only got uh, life jackets for, you've got an option to save. You're on a boat. You can save yourself and one other person. And the other person on the boat, you've got your kid or your mum. Who are you going to save? You're going down, you've got to choose your mother or your child. Who would you save? Child? How many would, would save the child? Okay. Uh, now, do you know what in traditional societies that have not been influenced by our culture, if you ask the same question, what do you think they'd all say? The mother. Because you only have one mother, but you can have many other children. It's just different, right? So... Uh, it's, it's just really interesting. So different, neither, actually in this instance, I don't think either is right or wrong. They're, they're just a cultural construct and we apply value to these things and they become our treasures. And then they shape how we live. And that's really very significant. So Jesus says this. He first starts off, he says, if you really want to live a great life, figure out what not to ultimately treasure. Figure out what, what you shouldn't make as the ultimate thing that you live for. And he says, don't treasure up for yourselves. What? Don't make your ultimate treasure on earth. So um, we've got to think about that, right? I think about, like, what does that mean? Well, I, he's talking about the, the ultimate treasure there, what really shapes all of our living, all of our choosing, all of our deciding, not just good things. And... Uh, and he says this, he says, uh, firstly, it's important to understand what he's not saying. He's not saying don't value or have any uh, material possessions. There's been, you know, over the years, there have been Christians who read stuff like this and go, oh, well, clearly um, we should all be, share everything. There should be, we should abolish private ownership. And wealth and material possessions are intrinsically bad. So no, no, he's not saying that because actually the Bible's pretty clear that... Um, in other, that, that we're, we're meant to own things and they're a good gift from God. But he says, it's a gift, material possessions are a gift, but don't make it ultimate. So it's okay to have material possessions. You'll be pleased to know, those of you who have, all of us do, right? Uh, he's also not, he's not saying don't uh, provide for the future. So some people, some, some naive people read this or some crazy people and go, oh, you know, well, it means I shouldn't save. I don't need superannuation. I don't need to take care of myself and my family. I've just got to trust God and be reckless. Well, the problem with that is we're putting one part of Scripture against another part because there's a whole bunch of Scriptures that encourage us to provide for the future. So the Proverbs uh, chapter 6 says, uh, talks about and, and values the ant that provides for its future and says, look at the ant, it's great, it goes about and it works and that's a good thing. Uh, 1 Timothy 5 says, if we don't provide for our own families, then we're worse than pagans. Like there's, it's good to provide for you. So he's not saying, don't save any money uh, and just bludge off others in your times of need. It's okay to, to be wise and accumulate surplus capital as long as it's not your great treasure 
as long as it's not the ultimate thing, as long as it's not the thing that you hold on to and you live for and you love more than anything else. And he's not saying you can't enjoy the good things that God gives us because actually the Bible is massively affirming of creation. And the, the brilliance of Jesus' teaching is when we prioritize our treasuring rightly, we actually are freed up to really enjoy the things of this world as good gifts from God without making them something that they can't possibly be, without building our life on them. Okay? Make sense? I'll give you a, I'll give you a really simple example um, that is very pertinent. Um, we have a tendency, a thing, a, one of the things on this earth that we can make our treasure is our, is our kids or our family. And I don't know how many conversations you've had with people like this. I've had many where I've, I've spoken to people who've gone, ah, oh, family is everything. My, my child is my life. And it's, it's most interesting in our culture now, as, as many people delay uh, their reproductive careers to into their 30s or even early 40s, the, the kid becomes, I've had everything else in life, and now I have a kid, and my child is everything, right? That's, do you think that's a good idea, to make your child everything? That's really not. Why? Moths and vermin are going to destroy it. What does that mean? It's, it's going to let you down. Your kids are... If, you, if, if we place the whole weight of our lives on our kids, we're going to crush them. Like, no person is designed to be your great treasure. It's a weight that is too much for a kid to bear. So you're going to crush the kid. You're going to try and control the kid because you can't, you can't possibly let the kid disappoint you because if your life is built on your kid, if you're treasuring this kid, when the kid disappoints you or lets you down, what happens to you as a human being? Well, your world collapses because now your great treasure is destroyed and let you, you, you are nothing anymore. So our kids are, cannot be our great treasure because they'll let us down. Moth and vermin destroy them. Thieves break in and steal. They don't last. This is the problem with the thing. But on the other hand, if God is your great treasure, you can enjoy your kids for who and what they are. Wonderful, glorious, disappointing, and annoying. All at the same time. Uh, they, you feel like you'll never get rid of them. And then you feel like it all went way too quickly and where the heck have they gone and why don't they ever call? You know? That's it, right? I'll tell you the other thing that is a problem if kids are your treasure. You have no empathy or care or concern for people who don't have kids. So your world becomes very little. And you, what do you do with that, right? That's a, that's a sad world to be in. If you, you, know, you, you can't care for others, you can't rejoice with others. You can't, you know, how do you deal with that? So, uh, Jesus says, the paradox, the brilliance, the genius of the teaching of Jesus is, um, don't make the things of this world my ultimate treasure. Don't put my ultimate value, don't make my life dependent upon these things. And when I do that, I'm free to enjoy them. Um, I'll choose a somewhat more, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, alcohol. If you're an alcoholic, alcohol is your treasure. You've got to get it. You've got to keep it. You've got to consume it. But the Bible says alcohol in and of itself is a good thing. Don't get drunk, but like it's a good gift from God. 
the rabbis say. Uh, Without wine, there is no joy. It's the first miracle Jesus did, turning uh, water into wine, an abundance of wine. A wine is a sign of the overflowing goodness of the new creation of all God's love for us. But if it's your treasure, it's an addictive poison. It destroys. I mean, I hate alcohol, actually. At one level, I absolutely hate it. It just destroys lives. But if you're not addicted to it, if it's just a good thing that you can enjoy a glass of wine over breakfast, I mean over dinner, you know, it's, uh, it's just a good thing. That's the genius. And we get confused, right? We're very confused about this and we, di- and we kid ourselves. So this teaching of Jesus is incredibly, incredibly significant. Um, uh, the, the problem with anything in this world, so the physical fitness, right? Think of these three people at the gym or even my slight obsession with physical fitness. Hey, you're just delaying the inevitable. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a delay of the inevitable. We're all going to end up with our bodies ceasing to function. No matter how hard you work, no matter what you do, like it's just downhill. 16, and then it's downhill, it's, and it's just, that's it. So it's going to let us down. So be very careful, therefore. So what does Jesus say we should treasure? Well, we should treasure those things in heaven. What does that mean? Well, we need to treasure the things that are in the, in the spiritual realm, sustained by God, brought into being by God, and that have a spiritual existence that will outlast the mere material form that they take in the moment. So let me give you an example. The first thing we should value, according to this, uh, is God himself. That's the, that's the whole teaching of Scripture, right? Right from the get-go. Uh, what is the summary of humanity? Well, it's to treasure your Creator God above all else. With every particle of your being, say, my life is centered on my Creator God. That's it. So treasure God uh, above all else. Love Jesus more than anything else. That's what we should treasure. That's what we should value. And I, I mean, if you, if you think about it, that's like a profoundly obvious investment decision isn't it i mean because assigning value to this thing is much better than assigning value to a thing that won't last so you've got if you just go well you do a here's here's god uh, the creator god in in christian theology and we believe this to be true infinite eternal personal uh love god is love so there's this you can value an infinite, eternal, personal, loving being who loves you so much that he would die for you, who guarantees you a future of glory, who will always be there for you, who will never neglect you, who will never abandon you, who, who, is, who is beyond the ravages of time, who is utterly, totally, completely competent and powerful and good and loving. Or you could make as your treasure physical fitness. <laughs> or the accumulation of surplus capital, money. You go, why would I do that? It's all going to go. Anything in this world that is not of God will actually just run through your fingers like, uh, like so much sort of sand. It just goes. So I just go, no, no, it doesn't make sense. Like, and so why invest in that? The returns on investing my life in money, the returns are what? Like a big fat zero, because how much money do you take out with you? 
Zero. Like the, the time, you, you invest all your life in accumulating money, ultimately stretch out your investment horizon long enough, you will return precisely zero on that investment, on that treasure. Same with your kids, zero. How many of your kids do you take out with you? Zero. It's same with everything. But with God, when you treasure God, how much of God do you take out with you when this life has ended? Well, here's what death is like in the Christian conception, right? You've become friends with God. You've treasured God. You've opened your life to God. You've done your life with God. And you've known in increasing measure his love and his tenderness and his gentleness and his care and his mercy in your life, moment by moment. And then as your body winds down, you close your eyes and you open your eyes and you are immersed finally, fully and forever and consciously in the presence of this God. And you're welcomed and you're in a new world and everything you've always longed for is there for you. And everything that's ever hurt you is gone. And nothing can ever touch this. So, so death is just a falling asleep and then a waking up. And it's nothing to be scared of. And so in fact, the, the thing that renders all our investments in the things of this world a big fat zero is really just a transition point into an infinity of joy and glory. <laughs> that's, it. that's nothing to be afraid of. You wake up in the welcoming arms of your heavenly father and it's, wow, that's death. That's it. And then it's, then it's all just good and even better and even better and even better and even better. So, so treasure that. Treasure God, Jesus says. And then we unpack this a little more. You go, we're to treasure what God treasures. Like I think from now, when you, if, if you come and have dinner or come hang out in our house, you'll see the silverware on the bench and you'll value it a little more than you would if you just thought it was this quaint thing that Mark and Margot have some silverware and you go, who does that anymore? And you'll value what I value. You'll, you won't nick it when you come around for dinner, right? So what does God value? So if I, if I treasure God, I should treasure what God treasures. Here's what God treasures. Other people. Relationships. Like, you know what really matters, what should matter to us? People, relationships with others. Deuteronomy 32 says, the Lord's portion is his people. God's inheritance is his people. God says in Exodus 19 that we are God's treasured possession. Of all the things in this world that matter to God, people matter the most. So we should treasure them more than anything else. Like, so you go, you know what, treasure God. Next, le next thing you should treasure after God is other people. So that starts to shape everything, right? Like, you, you, there's a fellow, at, um, an economist uh, called Michael Schluter, who's uh, written a lot about this, and he's tried to build a framework of a, called the R factor, a whole way of conceptualizing economics and work based along relationships. Like how do you think about relationships as the primary most important thing in your business enterprises in your ventures and it actually makes sense like honest to goodness i think it works like if you actually think about how life works it's all in the end about relationships so how do you value what's good in the world well will it help people flourish in relationships what what is the um, what's the value of a product that we manufacture well does it help people flourish in relationships uh, or is it just a trivial useless like person-destroying product, in which case, as followers of God, we shouldn't be involved in flogging it, you know? 
um, or selling it or making it. So that's how you start to evaluate the intrinsic worth or value of enterprises and businesses and capital allocation and all that sort of stuff. It's fascinating. It's all about the people. Uh, so here's another thing we should value. We value God as our great treasure, then we treasure people. There's a particular person in the world that it is entirely legitimate for you to value in a different way than anyone else. Who is that person? Did you hear the question? It's, there's a 7 billion people out there. You treasure them all. You treasure those closest to you. But there's a particular person in the world who you legitimately should value and treasure in a way and with a focus that you don't treasure anyone else. Who's that? Yourself. Yourself. Like, you and I have a unique responsibility to, to treasure and value our own souls, our own spiritual well-being. Think about it. Like, Jesus says we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, none of us struggle to love ourselves, but actually, you know what I think we do? We actually really struggle to treasure ourselves the way God does. C.S. Lewis put it this way. Uh, in his uh, little essay, The Weight of Glory, he said, our problem is we don't want to be happy enough. Our problem is not that we want to be happy, not that we want joy. Our problem is we don't want it enough, so we settle for secondary joys, for lesser joys. We're far too easily pleased with what we can get from life, so we don't push on to what's ultimately valuable for ourselves. So he says, what's obviously, he says, what, else, what is ultimately will bring us the greatest joy is God himself. So value uh, shaping our souls in such a way that they are God-saturated, God-treasuring, and therefore filled with ultimate joy. And don't let yourself settle for treasuring secondary things that won't make us ultimately happy. Um, I'll, here's another way to think about it. We're to treasure and value our future selves. See, why do we delay gratification? Because we value what the good that will come to us in the future. We value our future self. We, we take care of our souls. Nobody else has that, uh, has that calling on their lives. Um, we have a unique responsibility for the care of our souls. And, uh, and the final thing we're to value, like in this, in this hierarchy, God himself, other people, ourselves, and then this beautiful creation that God has given us, like we're to care for the world, right? It's, this is not a recipe to ignore the world, but it's, it's under God. God values it. He's made it. It's his creation. So we're to look after it, right? Um, and that just makes a whole pile of sense. And why should we do that? Um, why, why treasure these things? Well, they're utterly fundamental to who we are. Like if you want to live a great life, value the things that will make you a great person, God, other people, yourself in this world. It's pretty simple. It's pretty comprehensive. Choose what you're not going to value and don't do that. They're eternally significant. They're really long-lasting. These are the things that last in life. So makes sense. And then they're absolutely secure. This is what Jesus says. Like it's pretty remarkable. This is the promise. If you value God and if you value people and if you really value, truly value yourself, they're utterly secure. Uh, and moths and vermin do not destroy and thieves don't break in and steal. That's it. Like you, you don't ever have to worry then. And we're going to talk about that next week. Come back next week. Bring friends. Next week, it's Mother's Day and it's all about worry. 
I have a Jewish mother. I'm very good at understanding mothers who worry. Uh, you know, this is, this, we specialize in that, right? So, uh, so next Sunday, you get a whole lot of Jewish mother guilt and worry, and it's going to be a beautiful thing, um, I'm sure. Uh, but, but this is Jesus' teaching. He has a great teaching then about worry. You don't have to worry because what, re- what, re- what really matters to you is completely secure, so you're utterly free of worry and anxiety. So here's a recipe to go to a world that is increasingly anxious, and so you don't have to worry about it. By the way, I've got a... You know, in terms of creation care... Uh, one of the reasons why we're raising a whole generation of highly anxious kids is because we're teaching them that they face an existential threat through climate change, right? And, and that's a terrible thing. Imagine, imagine growing up thinking something over which you have absolutely no control, which is completely vast and unthinkable, poses a real existential threat that is going to destroy you and everything that you value in your lifetime unless you do something about it, but you know you can't do anything about it because the problem is so vast and unmanageable. It gets a recipe for massive anxiety, right? So we've got to think about that next week. And I think we can think about that without coming down with a firm view on specific recipes to address carbon emissions and the science behind climate change, which is somewhat contested but doesn't have to be, and we can address that because it's about our hearts and what we treasure, and I think God has a plan for this world. So I'm a, I'm a God optimist and a techno optimist and a science optimist and a human optimist. I think we're magnificent beings made in the image of God, and this world is not just made by God to be wrecked I don't, by us. I don't think he'll let that happen. So I don't think we should be anxious. I think we've got some words. I've got a vision, a moral vision of the world that can actually address this because so it, it's absolutely secure. Uh, so what difference does this make? Um, how will treasuring God change how I live? Um, you know what it does? In the first instance, it gives you a transcendent moral vision. It gives you a way, a framework to make sense of life, which our world does not have. What is right, you, we have a vision from this that says this is what's right or wrong. Does it, does it glorify God? Does it build human relationships? Does it care for my soul? Does it look after the world? There's a guide and it transcends cultures and it goes, yep, we can do that. Uh, When I speak to people who have no transcendent vision of God, what is right is really about who has the most power in a particular given moment. And it's it's a social constructionism. And there's no ultimate right or wrong. It's just about who gets their way. And, uh, and I think that's a terrible way to live. So this gives us a moral vision of life. Um, it, it changes how I live in, in a very profound sense because look what Jesus says. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Yeah? Your heart, what does that mean? Well, our heart is, our, is our, the organizing center of our beings, our executive function, our wills, our spirit. And that's true, right? So what you, you will order your life around what you treasure. If the house is burning down, I'll make a decision to go in and grab the silverware before I go in and grab the laundry. Just simple, right? And that's the point Jesus is making. It's meant to shape our lives because what we treasure will shape the choices we make. So here's what it's going to do, I think. It's going to rescue us from selfishness. 
so it's, a, it's an end to selfishness. Right? That's the first thing. Because if I treasure God, I, I realize life's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God. About other people. About his kingdom. So I think as if, if you take Jesus seriously, you're never going to be selfish. It's, a, it's an end to um, slavery. And particularly the slavery that comes from idolatry. And that is because I can say no. I can say no to people. I can say no to people who would treat me, you know, I can say no to someone who, who wants me to work 80 hours a week so that their business can make more money. I can say no because I treasure God and myself and other people more than their approval. I can say no to people who pressure me to behave in ways in a relationship that are unhelpful, putting up with their, their, their evil directed towards me, uh, violence of any sort. I can say no. I can be free from this. Um, I can, uh, it's an end, I don't know how to put this, is getting a bit, this, this is big. It's an end to competitive individualism, right? Uh, I can serve people. Uh, now, I find this funny, if, if those of you who know me, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a little bit competitive, um, and that's a good thing. Let me put it right out there. I think it's good to compete, right? It's not a bad thing. But it's not the ultimate thing. So you take, you take your competitiveness and, and you say it's not just about competing for my good. It's like, how do I compete for the good of the whole world and for others? So it's an end of selfishness. That's what it means if I treasure God more than anything else. And, and it's an end to a competition for me, to that radical individualism that is actually eroding and destroying so much that is really important in our world. And, uh, and it's actually an end to um, insecurity and anxiety, and we'll talk about that more. And this is a massive one. Like, I don't, like if I treasure God more than anything else, you know what? I'm free from worrying about what you think of me. And I'm free from worrying about what will happen to me. It's what Jesus will say later on in Matthew 6. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Live for God, and everything else falls into place. You don't have to worry about it. I have to worry. I, you know. That's tremendously... I mean, just think of old Izzy Folau. I don't know what you think about what he tweeted and what he said. But, but there's a part of me that goes, good on you. Good on you. You just... If you don't know who Israel Folau is... NRL, rugby league, rugby union player, Islander. This is really for the benefit of those listening online who, uh, who, who quoted the Bible talking about how, you know, people who, don't, who behave in certain ways will go to hell. And a lot of people don't like hearing that. And a part of me goes, dude, you might have done something a little, you could have been a little wiser, but part of me goes, good on you. Because you don't really, you don't, in the end, he doesn't really care about his contract with Australian rugby. He's prepared to walk away from it. You know, worried about the elites or segments of the community not liking him. Now, I just go, good on you. Isn't that a good thing? I think it's a good thing. And, and I tell you what rescues you from being 
like a, a sociopath who does harm with that. It's because actually what you value is God and other people. So you'll use your complete fearlessness for the good of others. And maybe that's where you could critique Izzy's comments and you go, was he really wisely thinking about what's really good? And who knows? I'm certainly not the first. I'm a, who knows, right? I, but that's it. Like, how, imagine, imagine how different you would be if you were completely free of any insecurity about how you looked, how you sounded, what people thought of you. Are you thin enough? Are you strong enough? Are you young enough? Are you rich enough? Are you smart enough? Are you articulate enough? Imagine if you could just still, you know how we go through life and we're always, so there's a, there's a little, there's a sort of double loop where I'm, I'm engaging with you, but as I'm engaging with you, I'm trying to guess what you're thinking of me, so that's affecting how I'm behaving. So I, and, and we're all doing that. Imagine if you just didn't have to do that. And you said, I can just pay attention to you and love you because I'm not actually worried about what you think of me, so I can just be really present to you and your needs. That's how it changes us. Where your heart is, there your treasure, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. God's my treasure, my heart's there, I choose that, which means I'm free to choose you. It's an end from insecurity. Changes how I treat myself, I can treat myself with enormous dignity. I can, I can honor my own agency. I'm made in the image of God, I have agency. I can act in the world, I'm not a victim. Like if I treasure God and I treasure myself the way God wants me to, I'm never a victim. It's the Victor Frankl... Uh, meaning of life you can never take away irreducible to me you cannot take away from me my freedom to choose and that's massive all kinds of awful stuff happens to people all the time if god is my great treasure i am never an ultimate victim i always have this god-given capacity to choose yes that's what i want and i'm resilient because that capacity never goes away. No one can ever rob me of my agency and my ability to choose and my responsibility. We're responsible then. No one, you know, someone said this yesterday in our music practice. You know, blame is a dead-end street. I don't, if, I, if I treasure God, I'm never going to blame others for everything that's gone wrong with the state of my life. I mean, I can, I can look realistically and explain why the way other people have treated me has affected me. But in the end, it's my life to live with God. And I can choose and I have dignity and I have responsibility and I have value and my choices matter and your choices matter. That's a, it's a terrifying responsibility. But it's what makes us human. That's what makes us alive, right? That's great. And oh my goodness, the world needs that. And our kids need that. And it all comes from treasuring God more than anything else. The freedom to do that, the, the, the leaning into that, the courage. The courage to do that. So, Jesus says, he goes through all of this. And he ends off with a call to action, Right? And you see it, it's pretty binary. He says, no one can serve two masters, or the other way of putting it, no one can have two ultimate treasures. You can't rescue the photos and the silverware, people. Rescue the silverware. Always the silverware. Forget the photos. Pfft. Digital. They don't mean anything. Okay. 
No one, you can't have, you've got to choose. It's pretty binary, right? Jim Elliott, who was a, a missionary, a young man who, who went to um, South America, was martyred, trying to help the Orca Indian folk there get to hear about Jesus, said this. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So choose God because you're giving away all these other treasures that you can't keep anyway. They're all going. But when you treasure God, you're gaining what you can never lose and, and actually you're gaining everything in God. So choose. You can't serve two masters. Um, and this is not fundamentally a beat up about money at all. It's about our hearts. It's totally, utterly about our hearts. You've got to choose. We serve our treasures. We accumulate them. We protect them. We enjoy them. We dream of them. They guide and shape our lives. Um, they're the reference point for our decision making. So choose. Like, choose that. Are you gonna, is, is God going to be your greatest treasure? Or is other stuff? And tomorrow morning when you wake up, choose who you're going to serve. Who are you going to treasure? When, you, when you're sitting in a meeting at work tomorrow, choose in the meeting who, who's really, who are you really serving here? And that's like, it's exciting stuff, like day by day, moment by moment. Choose, 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 choose. We can only bring one thing out of the fire. You can't be a servant of God, of both God and things on earth. You know why? Because their requirements ultimately conflict. <laughs> Unless you've already put God first, for example, what you will have to do to be financially secure, impress other people, or fulfill your desires will inevitably lead you against God's wishes for you. <laughs> it just will. So you've got to choose God first. You've got to choose God first. And of course, you might say, uh, isn't that a recipe to be miserable? Because like, the rest of the stuff gives me so much joy. Speaking with a guy the other day who uh, spent a year sailing around the world on a beautiful big yacht. <sighs> I'd love to do that, wouldn't you? I would love to be rich enough that I could just buy a big yacht, sail around the world, not have to worry about anyone or anything. You know, and if I needed to come back to Australia, I could just park the yacht, hop on a business class, fly, fly back, do my little thing, fly back, sail around. Never have to worry. Wouldn't that be awesome? And, in, and instead, here I am, you know, treasuring God. <laughs> a long way from a yacht. I look at other people's yachts. Am I really, is this really going to make you miserable? Aren't we missing out on such a lot? This is what Jesus says. Later on in Matthew's Gospel, he says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then because he thought it would make it miserable, he sold all he had and bought that field. In his joy. In his joy. So that's what it says. There's joy. Again, the servant, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of the greatest value, he went away and sold everything he had and he bought it. When you find, when God is your greatest treasure, you, you, you pursue God because of the joy that he brings you. That is the path to joy. And you gladly give up other things. And sometimes that's hard. And I have to remind myself, Mark, there's greater joy in God than in sailing around the world in a yacht by yourself or with your loved ones for a year. I think. 
I might have to test that though. I'm sensing the Lord saying, Mark, do a double blind trial on this and have a parallel life. One where you're really stinking rich and live for yourself and one where you live for God. Ah, but I don't have to do that because I have three and a half thousand years of history and all the testimony of scripture to say, we know how it works. Jesus tells us. And if I trust Jesus, I don't have to go and experiment for myself. I can go, yep, Jesus, the yacht won't make me as happy as you. That's it, right? So, for the joy, for the joy, pursue God. There's joy in the kingdom of heaven. Greater joy than you'll find in yachts and all the rest of it. That is, and we just have to remind ourselves of that and then live it out. So let's pray and choose this day who you will serve. Choose this day who you will serve. Lord God, thank you for uh, teaching us this morning and uh, blessing us with this. And uh, thank you for, for this wisdom that comes from you. And um, give us the courage to believe this because it's not easy and it's so countercultural. And uh, fill us with joy as we gladly treasure you above all else. And we ask this in your name, Lord. Amen.